Welcome to another edition of the PW Mania Hot Tag Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Justin C. Joining this, we've got both my co-hosts, Cam, and the chairman, Stephen Vincent, as we are here to catch up on the week's news in the world of pro wrestling and do a little uh, insight as we're over now halfway into the year and kind of give our quick thoughts on male wrestler of the year, female wrestler of the year, tag team and match of the year, as well as taking some select superstars and looking back at their SummerSlams and picking their favorite SummerSlam matches from the history of those wrestlers. We have six wrestlers on the list to uh, get through, but we'll start with current pro wrestling and talk about AEW Blood and Guts, which took place this past Wednesday on Dynamite, which saw the team of the Elite and Kota Ibushi beat the Blackpool Combat Club after uh, John Moxley got handcuffed to the ropes and gave up for his team when Wheeler Yuta was being choked in the ropes. I believe it was by one of the Young Bucks and um, Hangman Adam Page, if I remember correctly. Uh, so, you know, another Blood and Guts is in the books. And, I mean, this kind of is just my opinion in all these types of matches, Blood and Guts, War Games matches. Maybe I'm just nostalgic for what it like <clears throat> those matches used to be, but I want to see one promotion... Just do one of these matches where it has the enclosed roof that's barely like taller than the wrestlers. <clears> that everything's like tied up. Every nobody, there's no weapons, there's no tables, there's no chairs. Um, I would just love to see a match go back to that because I think I don't think you could do it though because the fans are so like ready to see all that other stuff that I don't think it would work. But like some of the stuff in the blood and guts match, like the I don't need to see the thumbtack boot again. I think that's kind of um, stupid. Uh, I don't need to see the, you know, bed of nails that uh, Moxley brought out, even though it looked more like I think it was proven too that it was uh, more Phillips head screwdrivers, too. But uh, the match is fine, but I don't know where this I mean, I was the only one that picked a Blackpool Combat Club here. I don't know where this leads to now. I mean, Daniel Bryan is out with his broken arm, just had uh, steel plates put into it. Uh, you know, I don't know what's next for Moxley or Claudio. I mean, they had Pac on their team and Pac walked out. Uh, that's another thing I don't like doing seeing too is these guys walking out during these matches. So I don't know what's next for either of these teams. I mean, what's next for the elite? Of course, there's always the uh, possible the CM Punk feud, but then CM Punk brought up on collision last night that he's, he considers himself still to be the rightful AEW world heavyweight champion. So maybe is that setting something up for uh, MJF down the line, even though MJF has his partnership going on with Adam Cole, who knows? Um, so a lot, a lot of questions, I think, coming out of this match as to what's next for all of these wrestlers involved in it. Uh, I'll go to you, Chairman, first. What were your thoughts on Blood and Guts? Um, it kind of was what it was. You've seen a few of these matches now. Hmm. And I guess my big thing was what's next. Like you said, like you want a blood and guts match, but I'm, I'm more thinking of what's the future. Where, where's this going? Because, you know, I've seen John Moxley bleed enough. I mean, I've seen all these guys bust themselves open. The bed of nails was kind of like gross. I'm like, Whoa, this is a little extreme here. And, you know, it's cool to see Kota Ibushi in the ring. It's been a hot mess since I got to see him wrestle. But, you know, it's just weird, like, having, like, like he said, Pac just walk out. It's like, aren't you guys, like, supposed to, like, not leave these matches? And then all of a sudden, Pac goes under the ring and finds a bolt cutter. And then, uh, you know, freaking Don Callis' boy, you know, Takeshi, or whatever the hell his name is, left, you know, too. It's like, okay, we're just leaving. And then Blackpool's down to, like, three guys. Wheeler Yuta is just getting like the finisher combo freaking dawn on him. And yeah, I mean, whatever. Like I, 
I don't even know what to think right now. Like, just like, where's this going? Like, I, I don't even know. It's like Kenny Omega is like wasting his, like, rest of his career to kind of right now. These matches, you know, tagging. Like, we all want to see the Kenny Omega single matches like he had against Osprey earlier this year, or I guess a few weeks ago too. But like, I, you know, I want to see those kind of matches, like these dream matches of Kenny Omega, and like the Young Bucks need to like put some something back in the tag division because that's just floundering right now I feel like and then I know they got the whole MGF Cole thing whatever but still like they need to put the tag back in tag team wrestling again and it's just like John Moxley's like not chasing the championship which is fine but like he needs like a legit feud and this whole you know Claudio's playing ring of honor champion Will you is just a sidekick I mean I don't know where this is gonna end up with all in all out you know but these blood and guts matches you know it's almost like we criticize WWE every year for doing a yearly match. Now I think blood and guts has kind of fallen into that because every summer now they have to have this match. It's like, honestly, I got no problem if the circumstances are there and I'm sure they built this up, but I, I could do a found it, I guess. I mean, I don't care. Yeah. It almost seems like one of those things where they're getting to, okay, it's blood and guts match time. We got to have, you know, some kind of feud going on between factions. Cause it did seem like that this bull, uh, Blackpool combat club and elite feud kept getting pulled like, kept going and going and going and kept getting like pulled along this whole time. And there's like, probably cause they were trying to get to uh, this match. And that's probably why they kept this few going the whole time. Like you said, it's like, Oh, it's time of the year for blood and guts. If I'm not mistaken. It was the same time last year. So we got to do, uh, got to do another one of these matches. Uh, but uh, Cam, what are your thoughts on uh, blood and guts? I know. I'll, I'll first I'll start with, with the finish. I think that was, I believe I picked you. Um, the elite plus U, uh, UW being the one to have to take the the submission or you know throw in the white flag or whatever you wanted to call it. Um, I mean, I thought the match was okay. I mean, the camera work wasn't very good. You could several times you could see Obushi's like punches weren't landing, and then the Bucks when they were doing like the back and forth super kicks on Yuta and Claudio, if I remember correctly, they weren't like you know clean. They weren't clean camera shots. So you were totally seeing the misses i don't know i still like that kind of really bugs me especially when like the wrestlers are really selling it but we can see on television that it's nowhere near coming to like near their face uh so the camera work gets like a c minus for me um i mean it is what it is like you guys said they just wanted to continue this feud to get to this match and then it'll blow off and then i assume as we begin the build for all in all out you know they can't just stick the elite in one match you need to separate them a little bit you need to have the bucks being a match and then I assume Co- or Kenny and, and Kota in, as a tag team, they'll bring back the Golden Lover stuff, and which should create some sort of weird friction in the Elite if you have two tag teams and then uh, Hangman kind of just hanging out. Um, I don't know. We'll see. As far as Blackpool Combat Club, I mean, I almost feel like it's – I mean, realistically with Brian out, it is only Moxley, Claudio, and Wheeler Yuta. So at some point, you know, we need to separate these guys too. I feel like they ran their course – I mean, they've ran their course through Regal being there and then Regal leaving to go back to WWE. And then Brian not wrestling ever to breaking his arm. It's the only match he's wrestled in six months. Um, so he's out for probably at least a few more months. Um, so you have these three guys, and at some point, you know, it's been fun. It's been dangerous. It's been, you know, hardcore. But... You know, it's time for Moxie to move on. Let's see Claudio actually, you know, when they work the Ring of Honor shows, you know, he's there by himself and he kind of just wrestles his own thing. Like, I think that needs to be the focus moving forward, especially 
for collision purposes, if you stuck Claudio in the Ring of Honor world, world title on collision, I think, you know, it's, I'm not talking about a huge ratings boost, but that just gives you another layer to the show because I feel like collisions kind of just been the same guys kind of just fighting each other in a circle. So, you know, ever since its debut, but I mean, the match was fine. Um, I kind of find it hilarious that the team that won, like no one was really bleeding. I don't think any, I don't even think Kenny was bleeding or maybe he was a little bit, but no one else in the bullet were bleeding at all. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think, I want to say maybe one of them had a little bit of blood on them, but yeah, I think you're right. I don't think any of them were really bleeding that much at all. I think if I remember correctly, Yuta was the one that was bleeding the most out of all of them in that match. So yeah, I mean, like I said, we got, what is it? It's July. So uh, all in all out is, was that like a month and a half ish away? I mean, no, actually probably a little bit more than a month, but yeah, you got like that. You've got and you've got Grand Slam that's taking place at uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York, like at September. So they have all three of these big shows lined up together in the span of a month. I just don't know how they're going to try to spread out that card. Uh, there's apparently been talk that All In is going to be on pay-per-view in addition to All Out. So they better be offering some kind of price point deal for that because you're not I, I'd be stunned if you could get people to pay I mean we we talk about all the time paying 50 bucks for one show if you think you get people to pay 50 bucks for two shows back to back or they better be offering some kind of deal that better not be through Bleacher Report because I don't want to use that app and I would just rather use it on regular like my streaming service that I have so who knows but we'll see where it goes with them like we said we got the MJF Adam Cole pairing that's going on too so you know We'll see what's next with AEW as we get into the uh, the late summer months here as they start the build to all in in uh, at, in a month. Uh, so over on the uh, WWE side of things, we have the build to SummerSlam going up, and we are about I would see it's uh, two weeks from yesterday. We're recording this on a Sunday, so two weeks from Saturday is when it's happening. And cards starting to take shape. Uh, we've talked a little bit about, you know, each one of these matches and where we think, you know, everything's going to be going and our early thoughts on it. But just for this week on SummerSlam, I'll go to you, Chairman, first. Out of all the matches that have been confirmed or rumored, which one are you most looking forward to? Uh, that's a tough one because this is a really good card. I mean, when you, you know, kind of, got our feelings on this uh question i was like man i probably like a handful of cards you know matches on this card i really want to uh dive into but i think you know there's a bias of me that's going to pick seth rollins versus finn balor because i think with the damian priest factor that we've talked about the last few weeks like where does the money in the bank holder play into this and then of course i'm sure you've all heard the talk that rollins is fighting through nagging injuries so now there's the risk factor of he might vacate the title and go on a hiatus now, which would put Finn Balor in the alpha spot of raw as champion. So that is kind of the, you know, question marks, you know, I have, and then of course they're all saying Bray Wyatt might come back on this match or one of the other marquee matches of the card too. So with Bray Wyatt, he might be back, you know, they said he could get involved in one of the marquee matches you know, he could be the one that takes Seth out ultimately. So, you know, I just think between uh, Roman and Jay, I think a hard, hard time to take consideration of Roman losing the title right now. I still think, and then of course, you know, Cody Brock's another good match on the card. So it should be good. But I think with Seth and Finn's rivalry and Damian Priest winning the bank holder, I think there's a lot going on there. So that's kind of the match I'm looking forward to the most as of right now. 
Yeah, I think I'm probably going to actually be leaning toward Cody and Brock. I mean, I've been like the I've been champion for a while saying fuck it, put the title on Jey Uso. But at the same time, I feel like even this Cody Brock feud, it's like, you know, Brock's been making sporadic appearances, but every interaction that Cody and Brock have had has been great. Uh, even the c- promo Cody cut when I was here at Raw in Buffalo, I thought was good about everybody's got a Brock Lesnar. It's kind of funny. Um, you know, it's funny. I don't know if anybody else saw and read the picture of Brock at a uh, putt-putt golf course uh, this past week. I thought it was hilarious. Just the idea of Brock Lesnar trying to play putt-putt golf uh, with his family with, you know, Sable and his kids and him just sitting there, like, trying to act just casually putt-putt golfing. It's just hilarious to think about. But it also intrigues me because I honestly don't know, like, who the winner could be. I mean, obviously you would think it'd be Cody since his long term, but uh, hell you can make, especially now with the new world title on raw, you can make the argument that Brock Lesnar could win that match and go on to challenge Seth. Um, so that's there. I think both Brock Cody matches have been good. Uh, the intrigue is there as far as who should win. Cody's the best baby face probably in pro wrestling right now. Uh, so there's that. Brock always puts on great matches and entertaining matches. And he's been entertaining since he's kind of switched over to this farmer gimmick that he's done, whether it's a baby face or a heel. Uh, that's been good. I, see, I think him and Cody have good chemistry with each other. So for me, I think I'm most looking forward to Cody Brock because I'm looking forward to the final match in the trilogy. I still expect them to do some kind of gimmick match, even though they have Roman and Jay now being no disqualification. I expect something to get added to this. And like I said, for the simple intrigue of that, yeah, you think Cody should win, but I think there's a possibility that Brock comes out on top and there's a challenger for Seth or Finn, whoever has the world title coming out of SummerSlam. And like you said, the Bray Wyatt, please don't, please don't stick Cody with Bray Wyatt. That's the last thing we need to see with Bray Wyatt coming back is him getting stuck in a feud with Cody. Um, Cam, what about you? Which uh, SummerSlam match are you most looking forward to? I mean, you guys made some strong arguments for everything, and I think this SummerSlam is kind of shaping up to be, you know, one of the better ones they've done in the last recent memory. Um, I mean, Jay versus Roman, I mean, I feel like that's that's the match. That's the, you know, they, they didn't pull the trigger with Drew McIntyre. They didn't pull the trigger with Sami Zayn. They didn't pull the trigger with Cody at Mania. Will they pull the trigger with Jey Uso at SummerSlam? And is that the course of action? You know, like I said, you know, <clears throat> If we're ever going to get to a Rock Roman match, you know, sometime here in the next year or two, um, I kind of feel like it's going to be this year because the Rock, so much hype and everyone anticipating the announcement, which never came. And then apparently the Rock City wasn't in ring shape. And I'm like, dude, you're at the gym like every single day. Just get on that fucking treadmill for 20 minutes and run, dude. Um, instead of posting weird Instagram videos. But I feel like that's that's the match. I mean, just to see what's going to happen, no disqualification. So it's going to get all the bells and the whistles. It's going to get everything. So we're. I'm, I think the most intrigue is that are they actually going to pull um, the string? Because I feel like a Jey Uso loss kind of hurts him and Jimmy going forward. Because if this is the payoff to the angle and they kind of go separate ways, if you will, you almost have to put the Usos on Raw just to keep them away from each other. And, you know, you might lose a lot of steam with the Usos because what do you do after that? Just kind of make them go back after Kevin and Sammy. They can't really do that. So this is almost a must-win situation for Jey Uso. 
Yeah, there's a lot uh, to think about what happens with the bloodline after this match, too. Like you said, if Jay loses, what happens? I don't think you're getting a single Jimmy's match. And we've seen kind of Solo take more of an aggressive approach when it comes to going after the Usos lately. So what does he project into as far as his future? Does he go after Roman? Do they really go that far in the bloodline and start Roman Reigns' redemption arc already at that point? I think it's too early for that. Uh, but we'll see. But they, you know, with that, with Bray Wyatt, with apparently them getting big plans for Judgment Day, uh, it does suck that LA Knight did not win his match this past Friday on SmackDown, but apparently the big LA Knight push is supposed to happen after SummerSlam. Uh, what that means, who the hell knows? I don't know what it would mean, uh, but that's the rumor. So who knows what there? But yeah, I mean, WWE's hot right now. They've got sellout crowds. They got hot crowds everywhere. I've saw photos from like their shows in Mexico City, in Mexico this past or this weekend so far that look like really really full shows. Um, so they have a lot going for them right now, and they're riding the momentum wave uh, going forward. And another guy that's riding his momentum is Dominic Mysterio, who this past Tuesday on NXT ended up winning the NXT North American title from Wes Lee. And now we have the Judgment Day with Finn Balor going after Seth, with Damian Priest going after, or with, excuse me, the Money, the money in the Bank briefcase, Rhea Ripley as the uh, women's world champion and as the women's champion, and then as Dominic as the North American champion, which just leaves Finn without a belt with the possibility of him getting it back. Uh, maybe at SummerSlam, or not, I shouldn't say getting it back, but winning it, the title, at SummerSlam against Seth Rollins. So it, it seems like Judgment Day is being positioned pretty strongly here. I saw a report that they uh, there would be people think that Judgment Day, their group could be like the successor to the Bloodline. I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, I'm enjoying everything that the Judgment Day is doing, but I mean, the Bloodline angle is a once-in-a-lifetime angle where you have everything just click. You've got the success of Sami Zayn. You've got Drew McIntyre in his quote-unquote home country at a 60,000-seat arena. you got, again, Sami Zayn, like I said, fighting in Montreal. You've got the stuff with the Usos, the family aspect of it, Roman Reigns being the guy. Um, it's just kind of everything for that just kind of clicked with it. And I, like I said, I think the Judgment Day story it could be good. I don't know if I would go as far as to saying that it would uh, uh, be just as good as the uh, Bloodline story, but I've been enjoying what they've been doing on Raw. Rhea's got a great presence. She, uh, in my opinion, is probably the number one woman in the company right now. Um, it's hilarious watching her post stuff on Instagram and Twitter about her and Dom and then seeing stupid like fans like going after her because of her real life relationship with Buddy Matthews. Like, come on, people. It's it's it, all in character. Like, come on, get a grip. Um, so you got that going. But yeah, I mean, I think Dominic winning the North American title is a good step for him. It gets him to uh, NXT, I think, which is good. Uh, you know, he'll be able to have some more matches there with a lot of the talent down there in NXT and it gets some and it gets NXT more exposure. It gets the North American title more exposure. I mean, from what I saw that Dominic's match drew like one of the highest ratings NXT has had in a long time. So clearly Dominic uh, is a big draw there. But uh, just general, what are your thoughts on Dom's win in NXT? I got no problem with it because NXT really needs boost. And, I mean, they've had some other guys on the main roster go down there, wrestle some matches, like they had Seth Rollins down there a while back, you know, and there's been a lot of guys going down there here and there and doing work, but, you know, putting Judgment Day down there and putting Dom in that spot to win the North American Championship is huge. It's just kind of funny to me because when Solo won the title and then was more involved in the main roster, then he had to vacate the title. So it's just kind of 
funny how that happens, but whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, Dom's going to be an interesting champion. Judgment Day needs the championships. And obviously, being on Raw, you know, him dethroning Guther is completely out of the question right now. But that would also give him some mega heat, and then people would be super pissed, and then, like, Guther would be babyface by de facto, which would be really weird. But, um, yeah, Dom is a North American champion. It's fine. It's just kind of funny because I think there's a Wesley had a match coming up against the camera who for life me now at the event coming up. And it's like, Oh, Dom just took the title. Sorry guys. Oh, Ali, right. Was it him? Ali was fighting coming up. Yeah. I think it was Ali. Yeah. Yeah. So now that, that, that there's no, there's no title now unless they do a triple threat or something, but you know, it'll be funny watching Dom walk around on uh raw with the uh, North American championship. And then Rhea's got her title and then priest got the money in the bank. So, Finn Balor, you better get going, buddy. You're you're the only one without a thing to hold right now. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see what happens, especially if they uh, do Finn and Seth again at SummerSlam and Finn loses, and you got Damian Priest, like we've said before, let's lurking around with that money in the brief. Uh, uh, money in the bank briefcase. Jeez, can't talk. Um, you had him looking around there. Do they kind of get fed up with Finn? Like, quote, I don't even know who the, there's really no leader in Judgment Day, though you probably would assume it'd be Finn by defa- uh, default. But do they get kind of fed up with Finn and kick him out of the group and give him a baby face turn? But then who would they add into the group? I feel like Damian Priest, Dominic, and Rhea is strong, but I don't think it's necessarily strong enough to be a top group despite Rhea's awesome presence she has going on right now. Uh, Cam, what are your thoughts on Dom winning the North American title? Well, I mean, I think it's another step in the direction where I where I said a couple weeks ago, a month ago, about Finn's going to at some point be the odd man out, and he's already starting to feel like it. You know, we've got Rhea has a title, Dom has a title, Damian has money in the bank. Um Finn's the odd man out, especially, you know, once he loses to Seth Rollins at SummerSlam. Like, I just don't see that happening. I think that's one of those things where love Finn Balor, always have, always will, but he's not taking the title off Seth. It's going to be when Seth loses the inaugural WWE title, Raw title, whatever you want to call it, whatever they call it. Um, it's going to be someone a little bit bigger name than Finn Balor. You know, we've all loved Judgment Day this whole time. They've done some good stuff, so I think at some point – Finn gets the boot and gets to go on a babyface run, which I think ultimately is better for his career. I think he's better served as a babyface anyways. Um, as far as Dom winning the title, I mean, I think that the more reps Dom can get, the better. So if he's working two nights a week, you know, that's good for him. He's a young guy. He can easily work two nights a week. These guys used to work four or five, six nights, you know, a week. Hulk Hogan once said he wrestled like 600-something matches in a day in, in Japan and New York in the same day or some crazy lie that he told. Um, but Dom could easily be on two shows and two shows a week. Um, the more reps for him, I think the better he can develop his career and do some things. Maybe, maybe try some stuff on NXT that maybe would work at raw. Like they kind of do with house shows because not as many people watch NXT. So you could try different moves, mannerisms, things like that. Um, and like you both mentioned, you know, that's, I think it's good for NXT. You know, they kind of need, they're not building up substantial stars, you know, Braun Breaker, but, you know, he hasn't really, he hasn't really done much. I thought he was going to have a bigger impact, but, I mean, having guys like that go down there every once in a while, I think, just makes NXT get that little boost, and, you know, we'll see him wrestle up against uh, William Regal's son, hopefully, you know, you got Drew Gulak down there, you got a lot of guys down there that Dom could wrestle and have some good matches with. 
Yeah, I agree. There's definitely people down there that can help Dominic out uh, as far as, like you said, getting the reps in uh, as far as trying out different matches. I mean, hell, Wesley and himself is a guy that you can go down there and have good good matches with and work things out as far as your like, in-ring technique goes. So it's a, it's a positive. It's definitely a positive for Dom. It's a positive for NXT. It's a positive for WWE that Dominic keeps getting these like chances and keeps getting this heat that he's getting. Uh, everything about it is just a good work all around for everybody involved, I think. And they have, I think NXT has their Great American Bass show coming up maybe this week or the week after. Um, I don't know if we'll have a total defense there, but yeah, like I said, anything that can get Dominic more exposure on TV and allow him to work on his character, which is already great in and of itself, but add, add other small things to it is just going to be good. So that's kind of just what we're going to cover now for the main portion of what's going on now in the world of wrestling. Uh, next week will be our SummerSlam preview show, so we'll get fully in-depth into all the matches taking place uh, then during the show. So for now, what we're going to turn to, as I said, we have a list of wrestlers here that we decided to kind of take a little SummerSlam look back and kind of go through all these guys' matches and pick our favorite match from each of these wrestlers from their SummerSlam careers. Uh, so let's just go ahead and start with everybody's favorite. Uh, let's start with Shawn Michaels. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, Shawn Michaels, for me, I don't think anything can top his 2002 comeback match against Triple H. I mean, he's gone for, you know, almost four years you don't know if he's ever going to come back. He starts getting slowly involved in stuff like the NWO, and then he does his program with Triple H, and he he's out there. And yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a like a technical wrestling match. It wasn't like a no holds barred street fight, and he looked like he didn't miss a beat. I mean, outside of his weird Corinthian shirt, um, he looked great, and it was pretty much a sign, at least to me, that he's back. He's going to be around for a little bit longer. And he go, went on to put on a second half of his, his career that some might argue topped the first half of his career. Uh, so that was a good sign, I think, for everybody going forward. So that's my favorite uh, Shawn Michaels match from SummerSlams of the past. Uh, I'll go to you, uh, Cam. What's your favorite Shawn Michaels SummerSlam match? I think that one was kind of like the unanimous decision him and Triple H I think they had a, a super super really good match um it's kind of hard for me to not pick him and Vader 96 because that was like I was almost 10 years old at the time just heavily involved with pro wrestling and I thought that was a fantastic match but I'm gonna go with um him and Razor's ladder match that they had in 95 you know they recreated their Wrestlemania match some say this one was better I thought it was pretty good you know the finish was really cool where Sean reversed the Razor's edge climb the ladder to win the title so I, mean, I think it was a great match plus like i always liked the those like baby blue care north Car- or carolina panthers-esque um uh, uh pants that sean would wear sometimes all right uh chairman what's your favorite sean michaels SummerSlam match yeah the triple h one was pretty much the de facto one i mean it's like you pretty much said you know it's gone for how many years and triple h just bloodied and battered him you know lead up to the match and you know, obviously it started a uh, long run of run-ins between the two before they decided to put their differences aside and become DX again. But this is where the blood really started to, you know, oh, it's bad. This is a bad match. Holy shit. So much blood. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And they had a, a match at WrestleMania 20 in 2004. It's just those two. I don't think it was a triple threat. There was nobody else involved. I forget who wins, but they, they had their, yeah, built up to WrestleMania 20 in 2004 where those two guys fought. Um, 
All right, let's go down to, and I'm going to make Cam start with this one because I know it's his favorite wrestler. I'm, let's go to Bret Hart, Cam. Uh, what's your favorite Bret Hart match? My, I just, I think it's just become like a personality trait now where I just don't hate Bret Hart. I just never thought that he was as great as everyone thought he was in himself. Um, so just because of that, I'm going to go versus him versus uh, Dr. Isaac Yankum. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I thought about really picking that because I thought it would just be hilarious to just pick like the most random one because I'm just like, eh, Bret Hart was kind of just whatever to me. Um, crap. I mean, he did have some good matches. I mean, obviously, I think the easy one is to go him versus uh, Bulldog from when they had SummerSlam over in the UK. But I'm going to go versus him versus Owen. I always thought him and Owen had such a great rivalry. So 94, I mean, it was a steel cage match. Um, I believe everyone in the family was like there ringside. So I was reading a thing the other day about how the Hart Foundation was like the original bloodline. And I'm like, no, nah, they weren't together for like, what, six months or something like that. And Brian Pillman eventually tried to kill Stone Cold. So like, no, they were never near the bloodline. Um, but him and Owen always had fantastic matches. Obviously, that WrestleMania match they had. But, you know, Owen at the, at the end, excuse me, where he's, like, trying to hold on to his brother and Brett gets out on a really good storytelling. And I've always thought those guys had great chemistry. All right, Chairman, I'll go to you next. What's your favorite Bret Hart SummerSlam match? Okay, so, yeah, I picked Bret versus Owen as well. I figured, uh, you know, I was Owen Hart fan as a kid. I always wanted to beat Brett, and it never happened. And I was super pissed about that, like for the title anyway. Because I'm like, come on, this would be great. Owen has came of the ring, you know. He, you know, he had the, the pink, you know, trunks. It was great, and even he had the anvil in his corner, and still couldn't beat Brett. It pissed me off so much. But um, yeah, that cage match was phenomenal. I mean, there's a lot of decent Bret Hart matches throughout the years for SummerSlam in general, of course. But, you know, that one's the one that would stand out to me because everyone's going to pick Bulldog because of the big Wembley SummerSlam 92. But I vaguely remember that one, and I was way more a fan of Owen Hart, so that's where I'm going. Yeah, I'm going to pick SummerSlam 92. Uh, I just rewatched that. Both of these actually recently. I know I'm going to get flat for this, but I always thought the cage match was a little overrated. Um, I'm not saying it's not good, but I think the Bulldog match is better. But yeah, like you said, there's that whole run of Bret Hart matches. If you want to, hell, you want to consider tag team matches. His uh, 1990 two out of three falls match with him and with Hart Foundation against Demolition. Uh, 89, there was the Hart Foundation versus the Brainbusters. I mean, 91, Mr. Perfect and uh, Bret Hart for the Intercontinental Title. Uh, there's a whole slew of Bret Hart matches that are just great. But I think for me, uh, the Bulldog match, the atmosphere in Wembley Stadium. Uh, you know, the, the, the other stories that, you know, uh, Bulldog was like completely gassed and forgot every single spot they were supposed to do like two minutes into the match. So Brett had to carry him throughout the entire match and call every single spot that they meant to do during the whole show because Bulldog was smoking crack with Jim Neinhart in the lead up to the show. Um, so that just, you know, gives uh, credence even more to how great that match is considering where Bulldog's mindset was at the time. All right, let's go to the one that I initially didn't put on the list, but uh, Chairman said deserves some respect, so I'll let him start with this one. Uh, Edge, what is your favorite uh, Edge SummerSlam match, Chairman? There's a lot of them, and he also has probably one of the best uh, win-loss records for SummerSlam. So Edge took that personally when he was omitted from the original list. But um, I could definitely say TLC for sure from 2000, but I feel like that's, you know, Edge is I'm like, I'd rather focus on singles edge. So 
I'm going to go to Cena from 2006 just because I recently just watched this whole run of Edge Cena. And this kind of goes back to a couple months ago when you guys were talking about how the Cena anniversary and how like his feud with Edge was like awesome. And I never really watched any of that stuff before because I was out of wrestling during that period of time. And I just rewatched like all of 2006 now and Jeepers, that stuff was intense. That was, I changed my answer now to Edge from Orton originally for better rival because these edge matches were fantastic. And the one from SummerSlam 06 was just another, you know, piece of that puzzle. Plus it's also great acknowledging Cena has a horrible SummerSlam record. And this is one of the many defeats that Cena suffered. So yeah, go edge. I'm going to go with the Hell in a Cell match with The Undertaker from 2008. And at the time, back in the day when, you know, Hell in a Cell match was actually like the blow-off to a, a feud, considering these two had been feuding all throughout uh, 2008, started at WrestleMania, they had a handful of matches, and, you know, this one wasn't for the world title, but it was an actual, you know, blow-off for these guys' feud. Uh, you know, got a little corny at the end. I remember when uh, Edge gets choke slammed, or I forgot it was choke slammed or last ride through the ring, and then the fire comes out of the ring. Like, okay, that's a little too much, but it was after the match, so it doesn't really affect my rating too much. But it was one of the better rivalries in mid, like this, the chairman said, this time frame, like the late 2006, 7, 8 era, Edge and Undertaker. They, I don't, don't remember them ever having a bad match. I think, I, if I remember correctly, they even had a TLC match at one point. So I'm going to go ahead and give the nod to Edge and Undertaker here. Uh, which Edge match are you going with, Cam? Just so I'm different, and just because I feel like SummerSlam 2002 is at least a top two, three SummerSlam of all time, um, it'll show up here again in a few minutes for one of my other uh, picks for one of the wrestlers, but I'm going to go, uh, just to be different, I'm going to go with him versus Eddie Guerrero from that show. You know, like one of those thrown together, hey, let's get these guys on the card to kill 15 minutes, and they definitely killed it. I actually watched this match this morning because I was trying to find something different and kind of forgot about this match. It was even on the card because, you know, we talked about the Sean um, Triple H match, and, you know, we'll talk about the other matches I'm going to pick here in a few minutes, but I think this was a fantastic wrestling match. Eddie Guerrero versus Edge, you know, Wall, give me, my, give me your money. Yeah, 2002 show was great. I think the only stinker of a match on there was Undertaker and Tess. So it's not going to get my pick here for the next wrestler, uh, The Undertaker. I will not be picking Undertaker versus Tess from 2002. Uh, there are a lot of, you know, there's there's good ones, and there's also really big stinkers for The Undertaker where we have um, uh, Undertaker, Giant, Gonzalez, Undertaker, Kamala, even though that got a really cool Undertaker entrance out of it with him coming out in the middle of the night while riding on the back of the hearse. Uh, Undertaker versus Undertaker, but I'm going to go ahead and sneak, I guess, technically three wrestlers from the list into this one. Uh, 97, Undertaker versus Bret Hart for the WWF title with Shawn Michaels as special guest referee. Uh, you know, I love that match. I think it... Uh, the ending of that match of the whole thing with, you know, if Bret Hart won or if Bret Hart lost, he could never fight in America again. And Shawn Michaels couldn't show favoritism. Otherwise, he couldn't fight again. And, you know, with Bret spitting on Shawn Michaels and then Shawn Michaels crowning uh, or Bret Hart ducking to Shawn Michaels chair shot and Shawn hitting the Undertaker. It launched the Shawn Undertaker program. It launched Shawn uh, more of Shawn versus Bret. And I think the match itself is pretty good, too. So that whole 97 era there with these matches. I think what helps launch the WWF into 98 and gives them the, the momentum they need. So I'm going to go ahead and pick the Undertaker versus Bret Hart match from SummerSlam 97 for my Undertaker match on this list. Uh, Cam, we'll go over to you. What Undertaker match are you picking? 
how dare you uh, disrespect uh, Undertaker versus Undertaker? Oh, um, yeah, no, right. One of the one of the finest storytellings in WWE history. <laughs> two, year, two like what? Two years into his career, three years into his career, he was already having an identity crisis. Yeah, the only uh, good thing out of it is that we did get Leslie Nielsen uh, skits out of it. That's it. Yeah, I mean, we did get that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there there's a lot of good ones to choose from. I mean, I'm just gonna pick him and Austin because I think they had a fantastic you know chemistry together whenever they worked. Um, the main event of the show, so I think it was just a really, really good overall wrestling match. It kind of just propelled what the Attitude Era was when you had like the Undertaker and you had Stone Cold um, doing their thing all those all those years. All right, Chairman, what Undertaker match are you going with? Undertaker versus Undertaker, then we got Sting versus Sting. It's like <laughs> it's crazy out I there. I used to do the only thing I used to do was Undertaker versus Undertaker in whatever I forget which which video game it was in the '90s, but you would get like. Red Glove Undertaker and Green Glove Undertaker. I was just like cool to wrestle with that many Undertakers and see like the different glove variations they have into the game. I forget what arcade. I forget what game it had to be a Sega because that's what I had. Apparently now on Twitter there's Blue Kane. Yeah, I saw something about that too. But uh, my Undertaker match will be '96 against Mankind in the Boiler Room Brawl. I was a huge Mankind fan back then. Shawn Michaels used to piss me off because I wanted Mankind to beat him for the title around that era. But uh, the boiler room was a significant, obviously, because that's when Paul Bear turned on The Undertaker and joined up with Mankind. So big, big moment in wrestling history there. Great match. You know, Mankind-Undertaker matches are insane, especially when we talk about the old Hell in a Cell at the King of the Ring. But, uh, yeah, Mankind-Undertaker, that's my pick. All right, let's go over now to best Triple H SummerSlam match. Uh, I'll throw this over to you, Cam, first to start here. What Triple H match are you going with? I mean, this one's pretty simple. It's Triple H versus Eugene in 2004. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Great Kali. Oh, uh, no. I, oh, I'd, even, I, I'd have to. I'd even think about that. <laughs> and the Great Kali. Oh, poor guy. Um, <laughs> no, I'm going to go. This one's kind of tough. No, no, it's not that tough. Because I try to stay away from like the tag matches and anything like that. Like I'm looking for one on one. Obviously, we did Sean and Triple H. You know, obviously that's the that's the pick. Um, I'm gonna go with 99. I'll go with 99. Triple H. You know, Stone Cold and Mankind triple threat match for the title. Um, at this time, it was just, you know, this was like the magnitude of the Attitude Era. 99. You know, Mankind's really coming up as a super uber baby face even though he um you know at the beginning was such a crazy heel and his character just screams heel but at the time it really accredits to mick foley and his ability to turn a character that was when you look at him like okay that guy's a bad guy to one of the most over face over baby faces during that period you know he wins the title uh just an overall fantastic match you know Triple H, you know, I think had a great job or did a great job in this match too. Really, kind of just selling everything for everybody. Uh, Chairman, what Triple H match are you going with? I mean, we already talked about Triple H Shawn Michaels from the 2002, but uh, I'm not going that route. Though that match is phenomenal, but uh, I'm going with 98. We're going with The Rock, the ladder match, Intercontinental Title. You know, back when these two were mid card guys, because you know, basically, like we talked about earlier, when Undertaker, Bret Hart, and Shawn Michaels were pretty much the alphas. You know, Rock and Triple H and Stone Cold were kind of the mid-card guys. Weird to think of that nowadays. But, yeah, there was a time when there was a separation of the top shelf guys and these guys working up the card. And Rock and Triple H, you know, 
great match. I think the reason why this all started was probably because of that DX uh, mocking the Nation of Domination skit that's apparently buried. And you have to search the dark web for it now. But uh, those guys hate each other. It was a great rivalry. And yeah, nothing more to say about that. Yeah, Triple H versus uh, the uh, Rock ladder match is also my pick as well. I mean, for me, it launches, uh, you know, Triple H. It actually pretty much launches both those guys. You look at them and see, okay, these guys are going to be big-time main event players for us in the future down the line. That's what I got out of from watching that match. I mean, if I remember correctly, True Triple H was going into that match on a bad knee, which makes his performance in it even better. Uh, there's a lot of good Triple H. I mean, Cam brought up 99 uh, with Jesse Ventura as ref. There's 2000 with um, with The Rock and Kurt Angle, and you know Kurt Angle getting knocked loopy and right in the beginning of the match. Uh, we talked about 2002 against um, against Shawn Michaels. There's just a whole lot of there's a, there's a pretty good run of Triple H matches there. Right? When he was at the best point of his career, before he got too paranoid and worried about you know somebody coming to uh, take his spot. So. Uh, so that's what we're going to go do there. So that leaves us with one person on the list, and that is Brock Lesnar. And I'll go over to you, Chairman, first to start. Which Brock Lesnar match are you going with? All right. Good old Brocky boy. Just think of how many SummerSlam matches he could have had if he didn't leave, you know, in the 2004 to 2012 window. Like, he could have been on like eight more SummerSlams, and who knows? Crazy. But, uh, I am going to pick the CM Punk match from 2013. I just remember that being a really big match with the Paul Heyman situation and everything else. And Brock beat Punk, which sucked because I was totally pulling for Punk. I mean, he just freshly beat the Taker streak. So, I mean, that was a intense Lesnar run. Yeah, you look at this list of matches, and there's really not a really bad one on this list. I mean, Triple H, I shouldn't say that. Uh, the Triple H one in 2012, I remember sucking. And the Randy Orton one in 2016, I feel like was like, because um, like, thrown together is like, oh, who's he going to fight? And then that ended up being the one that he ends up doing. Um, and it's like, all right, you know, that one wasn't bad. But and there's a fatal four-way that we got as well between Braun, Samoa Joe, um and, oh my God, who am I blanking? Who was the other person? Braun, Samoa Joe, was it? Uh... Oh my God, I'm going to find this now because this is bothering me. <laughs> Braun... Trouble Chief, right? Oh yeah, Roman Reigns, yeah, that's right. Um, Roman Reigns. So that one, too, but like you said, I like to stick to singles ones. I mean, the one he had with Brock, or the one he had with Roman this past year at SummerSlam, I thought was hilarious for, like, you know, the tractor thing, too. Um, man, this one's really tough. Uh <sighs> I think I'm going to, you know, honestly, I think I'm going to go with the two, that the, the one from this past year against Roman Reigns. I just thought, you know, this was in the middle of happy-go-lucky Brock where he's just like out there. You can tell he's having fun and not worried about anything else. Like I said, with the tractor thing, it's kind of hilarious too. Um, man, that match was just fun from beginning to end, I think. Uh, you know, last man standing. So they had to like go out, go all out to try to get uh, Brock buried from everything and make sure he didn't get up. But the match was just good fun throughout it. It was a big, huge stadium show with a sold out crowd. So the atmosphere was great. So I'm going to go ahead and pick. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pick this past year's Brock Roman Reigns SummerSlam match for my favorite Brock match. Uh, and what are you going with, Cam? Um, well, I was there 
2012 and 13, and I hate that Triple H match was fucking god awful. Uh, the Punk match, you know, it was a great match. I always thought they were gonna run it back at WrestleMania that year, but you know, things changed, and you know, the rest is history. But I always thought that was like the thing to do was not have Punk wrestle whatever the whatever the match was supposed to be, him versus Kane, him versus Triple H, whoever the fuck you want to believe about that time in wrestling. But I always thought the match to run back was Punk Brock at WrestleMania. Um, that year, but they never did it. Punk quit, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I'm going to go, well, I, like I said earlier, I'm going to go 2002. I think him and The Rock, you know, at the time, you know, that was kind of like The Rock's say la vie, kind of, sort of, if a little bit. You know, he'd come back, obviously, a few few more times down the road, but that was kind of like him stop being a full-time wrestler after that match with Brock. Um, it was a great match. Brock was fresh. He was a, you know, a new guy. Everyone thought he was the next big guy. Uh, he turned out to be, you know, the rock just comes down, doesn't do his full entrance, just runs down there. They have a pretty good match. Brock ultimately beats him. Um, you know, like I said, at the time I was still, it's like 15 or 16 at that time. No, yeah, something like that. I was like 16. So I was still like an Uber mark, you know, like didn't really pay attention to the internet, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, when Brock lost that match, you know, I was a bit surprised and, you know, the rest is history, but I always thought it was a great match. Young, young Brock. Young Brock and this Brock are my favorites because everything else in the middle is kind of just whatever. Um, but, you know, Brock Lesnar the last two, three years and the first year, year and a half of Brock Lesnar was fantastic. All right. So that brings us into now the last half of the show we're going to do here, which is kind of I always get June and July confused with like what exactly is the uh, is the middle of the month. So we're kind of more into like the past the halfway point of the year so but let's we're going to do some early awards here looking forward to obviously we do our big awards show at the end of the year but we're going to do midway here so let's start with i feel like probably what would be unanimous at this point wrestler of the year male wrestler of the year and i think i mean i would i mean for me it's easily roman reigns i don't think there's anybody in AEW that comes close to it even in the wwe i don't think you know nobody's on roman reigns level right now so for me, I mean, he's had great matches. His storylines are great. He continues to get the best reactions uh, as far as, you know, crowd reaction goes. Every time he's on, the um, the crowd, you know, the ratings are up. He is the guy right now in the world of pro wrestling, and I don't think anybody comes close to touching him. So Roman's my pick. Uh, is he yours, Chairman? I don't pick part-timers. I go for the full-time guy. That's Seth Rollins who puts in the oh, work Oh, I should have known. Yeah. You know, he's putting in the work, you know, the U.S. title early this year, the feud with scumbag Logan Paul, you know, puts on bangers of guys like AJ Styles and Finn Balor. And he can be another banger of Finn Balor. He's taking on Braun Breaker. He's a fighting champion. That's the guy, not the guy that sits at home half the time. All right. Who are you going with, Cam? Yeah, I mean, there's a hierarchy. If I would go male wrestler of the year, I would put. Well, I mean, we're not. It's even hard. It's kind of sad that we're not even considering MJF or anybody really in AEW. I'd say if we did like a top five, I'd put, I'd put MJF in the top five for sure. But for top three, for me, I'm just gonna go backwards. I would say Seth Rollins, two Roman Reigns, and one Jay Uso. Um, the reason why I say Jay is because. The bloodline story has been fantastic, but a lot of it doesn't work if Jay doesn't really step up into that role. If Jay doesn't really step into his role and really draw the crowd in and really just everything he's done, you know, mannerisms, promos, 
matches, just everything that he's done, this this storyline post WrestleMania isn't as hot. So I feel like, of course, it's the Tribal Chief. We acknowledge him, um, but Roman took a loss. You know, Roman's taking a loss now. You know, if we were doing like some power rankings, I would say Jey Uso is number one right now, and he it's like I said earlier in the show that WrestleMania is his to lose because if he doesn't win the match, what do you kind of do with the Usos going forward? Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go Jey Uso is the first half wrestler, male wrestler of the year for 2023. All right. Well, I eat my words then from saying that I thought Roman Reigns was going to be unanimous. Okay, I proven wrong again. Uh, all right, let's go over now to female wrestler of the year. I'll let you, Chairman, go first on this one. Who are you going with? This one I would think would be more unanimous. Yeah, now I'm thinking about it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Rhea Ripley, I mean, I don't think there's anybody even close to her right now. I mean, she's basically just dominating everything. You know, the WrestleMania match against Charlotte's definitely a match of the year contender and all, you know, men and female. I mean, she's been phenomenal with Dom. I mean, her Twitter, you know, Instagram, you know, exposure has been top shelf. I mean, I'm waiting to see like a big, another big time opponent like Charlotte, you know, I mean, she's had some run-ins with the natties of the world and Zelina Vegas, but like, I think she's doing Rick Helgas out the SummerSlam, which is fine. You know, if they, you know, she did cost them the tag tiles this past week. So there's definitely some fuel getting added to that fire there, but it's like, you know, when are we going to see the Rhea Becky Lynch or the Rhea Bianca Belair? I mean, there's definitely less of stories to be told yet. So she's been killing it. And I'm really excited to see where it ends up for her the rest of this year. All right. Who are you going with then this one, Cam? Yeah, this was the easy one. Uh, Rhea by a mile. Um, I just at this point, I'm more or less just wondering how long the title reign is going to last. Like, is she going to touch a thousand days? This is one of those things where it could easily turn into that type of situation. Um, she could have great matches with Becky and Bianca and Asuka and everyone you want to name. But I think Rhea's kind of just separated herself, kind of like Becky did a few years ago, where she kind of just separated herself from the rest of the pack. And Rhea's done that now. I mean, she, to me, I get, I still consider her the leader of Judgment Day, even though there's no official quote-unquote leader for them. I would just consider her the leader of the group. Um, first first person to win a title in the group. You know, has really made everything work with Dom. Um, easily the woman wrestler of the half of the year. Okay, so yeah, this one is unanimous. There, there we go. I knew one of these was going to be unanimous. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you too. I mean, I think... Um, you want to AEW's women's division is just so bleh right now that there's really nobody there. I mean, I think, um, you know, Jamie Hader getting hurt didn't help things. It probably threw a lot of stuff off over there. But I think if you're trying to name like a top three or four for this one, I think this one is almost like all WWE where you're looking at Asuka, you're looking at Rhea, um, probably Bianca's still up there too. I mean, hell, you can make an argument for Trish being up there given the character work she's been doing over these last few months too. Uh, all right, let's go over now to tag team or tag team halfway through the year. Uh, I'll let you go first with this one, Cam. Uh, who are you going to pick? Uh, this one's a little bit tougher because you could say Camp KO and, uh, Sami Zayn, but they really haven't done that much post WrestleMania. They've had a few matches here and there, but they really haven't done anything. So you kind of feel like they're in that trap of the WWE can do a pretty good job at building up a tag team and getting getting them the title and all that stuff. But then after that, it's kind of like okay, we, we kind of forget that we don't really give a shit about the tag team division, and they haven't really built anybody up. They've got Alpha Academy and Viking Raiders just hanging out with each other every week. 
even though I will say that the the work of the Alpha Academy over these past few months has been fantastic. I mean, I still think Chad Gable deserves a freaking Academy Award. He's done he's done a great job um, for everything that he's done the past few months. Um, I mean, I want to say the Usos just because they beat Roman and Solo, the first people to pin Roman Reigns in over three years. Um, you could make an argument for them. You can make an argument for FTR if you wanted to. You can make an argument for, like I said, Sammy and Kevin Owens. But tag team wrestling's kind of been down this year, so I'm going to go with the Usos just because um, I feel like it's kind of been their year. They've been the best story. They beat Roman Reigns, and there's nothing that can really top that in all of pro wrestling across the, the, the planet. Yeah, I definitely think right now, halfway point, a little over halfway point, I think the Usos is the answer. I don't think the Usos is going to be the answer come the end of the year, because at this point, you got to figure with the Roman J match taking place at SummerSlam, you have to figure that, okay, this match is going to, you know, there's, you know, the Usos are kind of, I don't know if you want to say take a step down after that, but do they go back to tag team wrestling? But like you said, it's like their tag teams themselves are kind of, you know, they have one group of champions now and Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, and they could be the winners at the end of the year. You could see FTR come and uh, catapult themselves to the top of this list. They're probably the runners up right now. Um, you can make an I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Adam Cole and MJF. Maybe Adam Cole and MJF are your tag team of the year by the end of 2023. Who knows? But I think, like I said, I think it's the Usos almost by default right now, but I don't think it'll be the, the, the out of all my picks right now between Roman, Rhea, and the Usos, I feel like the Usos are the one that I'm very confident saying, okay, these guys aren't going to be the tag team of the whole year by the end of this year. Um, who are you going with, Chairman, for your tag team of the year? Yeah, I agree with you guys. I like tag team wrestling this year just doesn't feel important. Like AEW, I mean, I don't know what the hell they're doing over there, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, cool. FTR's got the belts, but it's like whatever, I guess. I mean, and it's like as awesome as Sammy and KO are, and you know, Sammy was killing it, you know, earlier this year. But it's almost like him winning the tag titles almost like killed his momentum. Strangely, like they're not really getting big time feuds really ever since they moved on from the Usos. They've really kind of just been not even on premier live events really. I mean, there's really not a lot of tag, strong tag teams right now in WWE. So I'm going with the Usos because of the stories they've told, you know, Jimmy and Jay, and we've talked about them, especially Jay already. And, you know, the WrestleMania match of KO Sammy was, you know, phenomenal. And of course, you know, the match they had of the bloodline, you know, with uh, Roman and solo, I mean, the Usos are it. There may not be you no know, titles in their picture right now. And obviously Jay's got, you know, the big match of Roman coming up at SummerSlam, but you know, those two right now, they're it. I mean, they're, they're a generational tag team. And until this, some company decides to put tag team division on the front runner again and make it important, you know, I mean, I don't have no other answer other than those two right now. All right. And the last midway one we're going to do as we end up the show here is going to be match of the year. And I mean, we're already at a point now here in 2023. I think we've had some pretty great matches to choose from. I don't think there's probably a good list of about like five or six matches. That I don't think you I think you could pick and you wouldn't be wrong. I mean, just going from everywhere from AEW to WWE. Um, I might go. I'm going to go with one that might not be on there, but I'm going to go with. uh WrestleMania, but I'm going with Gunther, Sheamus, and Drew McIntyre for the Intercontinental title. That match was 
just, you know, could not take your eyes off the TV with these guys just going and beating the shit out of each other for that whole time. Uh, you know, it was everything you expected between these guys just banging each other, slapping each other, you know, giving each other a little bit of a rougher style. Uh, you know, just everything about Gunther's reign. I mean, some of the chops he was delivering to Matt Riddle the other day on Raw, oh my God, you couldn't pay me enough to take a lot of those shots. But that was my favorite match from WrestleMania this year. Um, so that's right now, that's definitely my number one match on this list. So, um, Cam, what's your match of the year at the midway point? Man, that's tough. I mean, you could argue Kenny and Will Ospreay, but I really didn't see the whole match. I saw bits and pieces from, you know, clips that I saw on the internet and watched the full match. AEW doesn't get 60 bucks out of me. Um, Man, I, you could make our Roman Solo and the Usos this, you know, a couple weeks ago. Man, I don't know. The Usos and Sam, Sammy and Kevin Owens was really great at fantastic at WrestleMania. The match you just mentioned, or Justin, fantastic. Oh, geez, what a what a tough call. You know, I'm just gonna I'll just go with I'm gonna go with Roman and Solo versus the Usos from a few weeks ago. I mean, storytelling at its finest, great match, lots of lots of high high points in the match. Um, not even a bunch of whole, you know, quote unquote high spots or spots or anything. Just great storytelling, great tag team wrestling. Um, uh, yeah, it was a fantastic match. All right, Chairman, what's your match of the year at the midway point? A little over midway point here. I mean, I can't afford 50, 60 bucks. So a lot of EW, you know, matches are probably off my radar just because of that reason alone. So I'm looking at basically WWE or what I watched at Wrestle Kingdom at the start of the year. And Kenny Omega Will Ospreay's match there still, you know, stands out to me. I mean, it's like I said earlier, singles Kenny Omega is one of the best in the game, and so is Will Ospreay. So you put those two together, you're definitely gonna get some good good stuff. So that's my pick right now. And of course, that could change, but I mean, usually a lot of the matches of your contenders usually come out of like Wrestle Kingdom, WrestleMania. So we curious to see if like SummerSlam or something in the next few months could uh, upsurp some of these other matches we've talked about. All right, and that is our show for this week, and we will be back in just a little bit over a week to give you our SummerSlam preview as we preview the biggest show of the summer for the WWE. Who knows? You can make the argument if it's still the biggest show of the summer overall in pro wrestling. But So, yeah, we'll be back in, like I said, a little over a week to preview that. So for my co-host Cam and the chairman, Stephen Vincent, I am Justin C. signing off, and we will talk to you then.